Our text this morning, Luke chapter 11. Can someone tell us what uh, that page is in the Pew Bible? If you don't have a copy of God's Word, please do uh, grab a copy. 870. Please uh, turn to Luke 11. We're going to look at verses 27 through 36. You know the old phrase, right? There's a fine line between this and that. There's a fine line between... We're talking about the similarities of things. Then sometimes you kind of get into what's the distinction? What's the difference between this and that? Sometimes it matters. Uh, Sometimes it doesn't matter at all. (laughs) Sometimes it really matters what the distinction is. Sometimes it doesn't matter... Uh, one little bit. If you go to Google, uh, Google always is trying to think for you. You start to type something in. You say, what is the difference? And lo and behold, they already start putting in various phrases. I'll just give you a couple examples. Are you ready? What is the difference between mass and weight? Well, I would say it doesn't really matter if you're living in the International Space Station, right? What's the difference between affect and effect? Doesn't really matter as long as you're not taking a grammar test. What's the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? These are all, I didn't make these up. This is all listed right there for me this morning in Google. What's the difference between a crocodile and an alligator? Well, it doesn't much matter if it's chasing your dog, okay? Let me give you another one. What's the difference between a vegan or a vegetarian? Well, it doesn't really matter if you're on, if you're on your way to a Brazilian steakhouse, if you know what I mean. What's the difference between listening and hearing? Well, there's a question that regularly should get asked, should be uttered. Well, it's definitely uttered in our house. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? I wish I could say it's just between uh, myself and our kids or Krista and the kids. It's sometimes Krista to me. Are you listening? Uh, You know, and then you go a step further and you say, why don't you hear me? Which is to say, I know that you hear me, but you are not listening to me is what is suggested, is what is said. Sometimes it sounds a little more sarcastic. What is the difference? What is the difference between hearing and listening? Well, it really doesn't matter if you're doing both of them. Right? There's an undeniable difference between listening and hearing. Why is it, why is hearing easy up until an age? <laughs> why, 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 why is hearing easy and listening so hard? It's a great question. There are a number of explanations for it. Sometimes when I work with a married couple or maybe two parties who are in conflict, I'll say, okay, let me hit pause here. Let's do an exercise. Could you please now summarize what he or she just said? That's an exercise in active listening to summarize, to to say back what it is that has been said. It's not it's active listening. It's not passive hearing, hearing to respond, listening to respond, but active listening Again, why is it so easy to hear but so difficult to listen? Let me suggest this. The capacity for hearing is in our ears, but the desire for listening is rooted in our hearts. It's deeper. Now here in the immediate context of what we're about to read, just before it and just after it, Jesus has a lot to say in reference to uh, the religious, uh, spiritual, serious people. Uh, the, the people there that he's referring to are the scribes and the Pharisees. They're doubting Jesus. They're questioning Jesus. Uh, in many ways, they just outright reject Jesus. And Jesus has for them harsh words. 
Time and again, I encourage you to go on and read for yourself. There's, there's an illustration of what we see here that goes on later when Jesus pronounces woes and condemnation on these folks. In Matthew, he even resorts to calling them names. Because it says there in Matthew 12, verse 34, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes, Jesus says to them, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, out of the, out of the overflow, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, I think conversely or even similarly, you would say that out of the ears, right? How can you hear out of the heart? That's how you listen. Back in Luke chapter 8, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, he's not talking about anatomy physiology. He's referencing the ability in our hearts to truly listen. We're not talking about auditory skills. We're, not, we're, we're talking about our open hearts when it comes to listening. And even with all the distractions and all of the detours and all the disappointments and all of the demands of our life in this fallen, broken world, can you hear, this is my question, can you hear the voice of God, the voice of your Savior on a, on a regular basis? Do you hear this? Let me invite you, I know you're seated. Let me invite you to stand as we read the passage in deference to God's word right now. Hear this, this is God's word beginning in verse 27. He said these, this is Jesus, said these things, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He goes on, verse 29, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the son of man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a blanket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy or sound, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your, whole, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If, you then, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp as when, when a lamp, its ray gives you light. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. Let me ask God's help. God, we, uh, we, whether we want it or not, we need to hear from you. And so I ask that you would, I mean, because, you know, there are people here right now that are, are, are unconvinced in unbelief. There are people that are unsettled. There are people that are, are perhaps unclear. And we don't need anyone to confuse us. So I pray that you would please be in my speaking and be in our hearing, especially in our being and doing as we go from this place. We ask for your help through Christ. Amen. That website that I mentioned earlier where you can give to uh, the crisis in Ukraine, uh, there are a collection of stories. And uh, it was pretty humbling as I began to to read over some of the accounts from the front lines. You know, here I am in front of a warm wood stove contemplating how much it's going to cost me perhaps to drive south over spring break uh, to visit family. And there are people, stories of people who are driving to escape 
to safety in Poland or Romania, and they have to abandon their car and walk to the border and try to find safety. I read one of these stories, and of course, many people have stayed back. It's pretty humbling. I read the story of one uh, a Presbyterian pastor in the city of Kiev, uh, Pastor Oleg. He's decided to, to stay and join with the defenders fighting for Kiev, and he asked why he wouldn't evacuate. This is what he said. It would be easier to run away and to pray, but we're taking the church to where people are. I'm doing this because I want my men to survive or to die knowing God. I want to defend my land, my home, my house, my people, my children. That's what motivates me. And he quotes Isaiah 58, 12. He says, you will rebuild the streets that are broken and the walls. And he says, Pastor Oleg says, that's what I want. I want to rebuild the city physically and I want to rebuild this nation spiritually. Speak up for us, he writes. We will defend our land, but we need someone to cover us with prayers and to spread the word about what's going on in Ukraine. And it is to that end at our close that we will pray. When I read these stories or I read other stories from the front lines or for for people who are hosting the the church in Poland, the church in places like Romania who are hosting refugees and Ukrainians, you hear these beautiful and moving stories of generosity and sacrifice. It, It illustrates to me a great and deep abiding faith in some of these people. These people are listening to the voice, the clear and the compassionate voice of Jesus, their good shepherd. So again, back, back to my question and to you, and that is this, what is driving you, you this morning? What are, are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Now to help us kind of navigate this text, I listed there in the order of service, you'll see uh, three headings. There's a beatitude, there's a sign, and then lastly, there is a, a vision or an eye. More specifically, there is a beatitude that's redirected. You'll see listed there in the opening verses. Secondly, I want us to see a sign that's rejected. And then in the last four verses, there is a vision that is refocused. So first of all, this beatitude, this blessing we see in the opening verses 27 and 28, there's a woman in the crowd, right? And, and she has just witnessed Jesus' powerful ministry, not only in word, but also in deed. And he, she has seen Jesus demonstrate his authority in what he says, but also in how he's freed this man from demonic uh, bondage and this man who was mute. Naturally, uh, this beatitude, this blessing, we call it, a blessing that would come uh, from a woman, naturally, because she's the one who calls out and praises the mother of Jesus in a way uh, to honor him, and rightly so. I mean, this woman, when she cries out in verse 27, is so spot on. And, uh, and, and, and no one. I mean, there has not been a single woman in the history of the world who has had the distinct honor that Mary had. That Mary being so intimately connected uh, in proximity to, to Jesus, there has been no one that has experienced such a reserved blessing as she. So, and Mary knew this, right? Like, even if you go back to the beginning of the Gospels, like the beginning of, of Luke and the Magnificat, there's a prayer of, of praise and song to the Lord. And she says, and, and every generation from here will call me blessed. And that's exactly right. And Jesus doesn't at all diminish that whatsoever. But he does shock us a little because he then pivots and he redirects the blessing. And he says, the greater enduring blessing is for those, look at verse 28, who are hearers and doers, those who keep the word of God. That's where the real enduring blessing 
remains. And th- th- this is good news for us because it would indeed include us. It could include you and me, the great hope, if we, a blessing if we hear the word and listen, which is, which is the emphatic type of hearing that involves listening, the emphatic nature of, of carrying it out into word and action and obedience. To obey God's word, friends, to, to obey what he desires for, for people, for his people. It's not an equation that we, we plug in, right? This is not like preparing for retirement, okay? This is, not, this is not something that we plug and play. This is not something that we just do against our own uh, desires and, and according to some strict discipline in hopes that we get some kind of, of reward or compensation or, or payment. You, you don't understand if that's the way you're approaching God's word. It misses the point. As one of my friends, Professor Rick Lentz puts it, So, well, obedience is the reward. Okay? To to follow in God's wisdom and law. Obedience is the reward. I'll explain more of what I mean a little later. So stay away. We're already on the second heading. Good news. Okay? Here's the second heading. All right? The sign that's rejected. Because in verse 29, the crowds are increasing so much that it's almost like Jesus says, okay, enough, enough, enough. Like, you know, let's just thin this crowd out. The best way to do that is to offend people. And Jesus is good at that, okay? Jesus does not have a problem offending people. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with that, then you don't know the Jesus of the New Testament. That, that, that's him. He does have a way of offending people. He tells them that they're evil. This is an evil generation, Now, we don't know exactly who and what he has in view, if it's a particular people group or a time period. But what we do know is that that it would apply to all of us because we're all evil by nature, especially in relationship to a holy God, as we talked about last week. But but really, what's, what's in view here is the problem that they have in their heart. And it comes out because they ask for a sign, but surely they mean another sign. Like what we just saw with Jesus is not enough. Jesus is here in front of them. We, we talk of, of Jesus' other name as one of his names is Emmanuel. Why? Because it, it literally means God with us. The God man is in front of them speaking with authority, healing and doing great things. And they cannot or they will not see. If you're driving on the turnpike, okay, uh, and you're driving east across Massachusetts and the sign says 45 miles to Boston, where are you? Well, I don't know. Maybe you're, you're, maybe you're in Worcester or something. Or, but, but the point is you're not in Boston yet. And if you get closer to the city and it says it's a dozen miles away, then where are you? Well, I, I don't know, but you're still not in Boston. But if you're, if you're driving around the Prudential Building and you roll down your window and you say, Where's Boston? I didn't see any signs. They're going to say, that's because you're in Boston. You're here. We don't need signs for Boston. We're here. That's where you are. And so I highlight that to say, back in verse 16, it clarifies that what they wanted was a sign from heaven. In other words, they want it right now, in the skies, something undeniable that is clearly the fingerprints of God that is easily, uh, is easily, they wanted something uh, grand and something on demand. Can you imagine the audacity? I mean, the, the, the presumption, the gumption. I mean, this man has just demonstrated with, with such authority and mercy to heal a man. 
And they were there, witnesses. And, it, and, and it's so much so that they can't deny that it was supernatural. But if you'll recall verses earlier, they attribute it to what? Well, he must do this. He must exercise this power because of the power of the prince of darkness, Beelzebub. So you're attributing? You can't deny that it's supernatural. So you're going to attribute it to Satan as opposed to just saying, here is God in front of us. Let me follow him. Now, I've heard this before. I, I, I have friends, many friends, who uh, know me to be a follower of Jesus, uh, who sometimes smirk and, and laugh, and, and they'll even say, I know you, I know, I know, I know, but I can't trust the scriptures. You know, I, I don't know how you can believe that book, Troy. And now I say, well, then come study it with me. Let's, let's, let's look at it together. But my experience is that that's not really what they want because they enjoy more being skeptical and dismissive. It's not that they can't believe in a God who walked on water. It's not that they can't believe in a Jesus who spoke about real judgment. It's that they don't want to. And I don't either in my own natural state. If it wasn't for the Spirit of God, I wouldn't believe this. It wouldn't wouldn't come into focus or into my life either. Why is it so hard to believe? I mean, poor God, right? Poor God. Why couldn't he just be a little more persuasive? I mean, why couldn't he put up a bigger sign, a better sign? I mean, why, why doesn't he put up, why doesn't he put something in front of me that is, you know, that I deserve, right? To, to see clearly what is going on here. Something impressive, something we think we need or we think we deserve. Perhaps the problem then is not with God or the sign, but maybe the problem is with me. With us. You see here in this account, Jesus is saying, you want a sign? You want a sign? It's me. The only sign you're going to get, verse 29 and verse 30, what does he say? Is the sign of Jonah. What is that? Remember Jonah? He's a, he's a prophet. He's a pretty reluctant prophet. He is sent uh, to spread the gospel. Just a very simple message that he's supposed to bring to Nineveh. Small problem. Big problem. He hates Nineveh. All of the people of God hate Nineveh. It's a pagan city in Assyria that would later go on to attack them. They're they're miserable people. They're, they're, They're unclean and they're mean and they're undeserving. Jonah is like, that's the last thing I want to do. So what am I going to do? I'm going to get on a boat and go the opposite direction. And God says, I'm going to provide an alternative form of transportation. (laughs) And what would that be? What is it? Some of you said a whale. That's not what it is. It's a, thank you, uh, you, Jason, it is a large fish. That's always what I say. People say, oh, marine biologists have confirmed. See, the Bible can't be trusted. The Bible can't be true. You can't survive for three days in the belly of a whale. Well, to that I say, number one, the Bible didn't say it was a whale. (laughs) It said it was a large fish. And who's to say that God of all people, of all persons, cannot create a fish that you can survive in for three days? It's okay. God can do what he wants to do with creation. And by the way, Jonah's the problem. The fish is not bad. The fish saved the guy. Okay? Jonah is the problem in the book of Jonah. It's not the people of Nineveh. All they hear is some lame messenger who can't stand them. And he, he pronounces uh, God's you know, message. And then they all together collectively repent. And is he happy about this? No, he's not. He doesn't think they deserve this.
What's the sign to this evil generation? It's Jonah. It's preaching to Jonah. Yes. Which is a foreshadowing. It is a foreshadowing pointing forward to the resurrection to come. We know that because elsewhere, Jesus says in Matthew 12, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth, the heart of the earth. You want a sign? Jesus is saying, hello, it is me. And Jesus is not going to get into the business of show business. Jesus is saying, if you would, be, if you would wait, you will see that I am greater than death and I will be raised from the dead. But you won't repent. You won't see it. Secondly, he goes on to say, I'm greater than the wisdom of Solomon. And that was pretty good because that wisdom is what, just by way of of a dissipated rumor, had the queen of the south, we read here, which is is the queen of Sheba, what you heard read in the Old Testament reading in 1 Kings 10. The queen of Sheba, who lived some thousand plus miles away in what is now Yemen, made uh, her way with an entourage and spices and gifts to hear about the wisdom. She is hungry for truth. She is so thirsty for the wisdom that she hears is attached to a king who knows the living God, that she wants to go there. She wants to witness it. And she is speechless. We read that earlier. She believes. She praises the God of Israel. That's a beautiful thing. But of course, seeing is not always believing. For many in Jesus' generation, of all the people who had experienced firsthand the power of God, there was that generation that should have surrendered and believed him to be Messiah for who he really is, the king. Especially the religious leaders. But instead, they see the sign and they reject it. Oh, well, we need something different. They're not open to being persuaded. And why? Because of their heart. And if your heart is hard and you're closed off then you will not see truth nor hear the voice of God. And what is he saying? Jesus is saying at the judgment day, it will be the people of of Nineveh. As much as they heard a lame message from a guy who didn't even like them and responded with repentance, Jesus is saying, I'm coming with even a greater message. And in the same way that the queen of Sheba traveled well over a thousand miles to come, she, all of these indicators would say, even with that glimpse of wisdom began to worship the living God, how much worse off are you? Jesus is saying here, verse 32, all of, the, all of that, verse 32, will testify against you. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment of this generation and condemn you. For you didn't repent. And it was a greater message. It was a greater messenger. What does it mean to hear What does it mean to listen to the voice of Jesus? Well, I'll tell you what it manifests. You know that you're listening to the voice of God and Jesus, his son, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. If you have repentance and faith. I'm not talking about once once and done thing. I'm talking about the life of repentance and faith, turning from sin, turning from sin and self and selfishness and shallow, vain things and turning to, which a lot of people are trying to do that in all kinds of uh, uh, recovery programs, but I'm talking about turning to. Repentance is turning to Jesus by faith, trusting him in his word and his work. Jesus was a sufficient sign, but they would reject the truth. And that was a perilous thing for them. And it is also, it could be for us if we don't get our focus and our eye in the right place. So here's the last point. A vision refocused in these last four verses 
Jesus refers to the light of the eyes. The eye, of course, is that that uh, faculty that what's the word I'm looking for? That instrument, the receptacle by which we see and, and receive and perceive things. Right. It says if, you, if your eye, Jesus is saying, is healthy and sound. What does he say in verse 34 of our text? It says, great, then you'll have light throughout your body. It will enlighten your whole person. It would be, it should affect or affect, whatever the distinction is of that uh, in grammar, that you will live and you will act differently if your eye has light. But in contrast to, the, to that, the unbelieving generation had many signs, verse 34, and he tells them, your eye is dark. What is Jesus in essence saying? Listen, you are blind. You people are blind and tragically, it doesn't just, it extends even further beyond than just your vision. It extends to your whole life and your future destiny. It is darkness. That's pretty offensive for him to say that to them. But it's pretty obvious. In fact, the testimony of scripture is very clear elsewhere. Amongst other places, Ephesians 5 verse 8 says that we in, in our natural state, Without Christ, prior to Christ, all of us are children of darkness. But we should walk in the light. And the blessing, the benediction, remember, back in verse 29, is for who? The hearers and the doers, the keepers of God's word. Back to my quote, obedience is the reward. Obedience is the reward. Is there anywhere in scripture that would support That phrase, that notion, that idea. I'll tell you there is. Psalm 19, verse 8. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Now, I don't know about in your experience. I've been walking with Jesus for a number of years. I can think of times when hearing translates into listening and then listening, which always manifests in doing the will of God. And even before I know what the outcome is, living by faith and obedience, I know that I'm walking in the light. And that's, that's freedom. <laughs> that's joy. I, I don't know what that's like for you when you find out that God's called you to love someone who's difficult, forgive someone that has offended you, to give something up, to even give generously, to, 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 to surrender and to deny yourself. It can feel like dying, but it always brings forth life in me. It's much like the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. To know God is to be in his family. And here's the invitation, right? It's very clear in Acts 17 when the gospel is being preached by Paul. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he he commands everyone everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed the day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness by a man, this is Jesus, whom he appointed, and he has given assurances to all of this by raising him from the dead. Now, the modern man says, fine, okay? Maybe you're a little overboard about Jesus, Troy, uh, or you or whoever, the follower of Christ, but I want to keep my options open. I mean... After all, we need to be tolerant and uh, not narrow-minded. And we want to be open-minded people. And I'm all for that. It was G.K. Chesterton who said, 
Merely having an open mind, though, is nothing. Merely having an open mind, he writes, is nothing. The object of an opening of the mind, as with the opening of a mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. How else can I describe this except if we have an open mind, that is good. But we are to bite down, to lock down on truth, to contemplate, to read, to meditate on the things in the word of God. If we do that, it will transform us. That's what truth does. Of course, if we open it, it will be light to us and it will expose us. And to be exposed It's not a bad thing. It's not a comfortable thing, but it is an important thing. And by the way, for us to be exposed or or for it to be conveyed to us that that we're lacking, that we're we're shown up, that we're exposed for who we really are and some of the darkness that, that dwells within our evil hearts at times. It's not for the sake of discouragement. It's not so that we would feel, you know, beat up or ashamed or struggle with guilt. It's so that we would see that we would come and appreciate the God man. Here's the takeaway. This morning, I want to say this to you. If you're here today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to say to you, repent. If you are a follower of Christ, I want to say to you, repent. (laughs) Turn. Jesus is greater than Jonah, who had very little to say to a people he despised, and a greater message comes through a greater messenger who is Jesus, who loved his people and had lots to say. But it wasn't about their physical safety, it was about our salvation. And he was not saved by a large fish, no, he died. And he was not spit up by a large fish, he was raised by God the Father from the grave. And Jesus is the greater wisdom, greater than all that we have known or ever seen with Solomon. Solomon was known to describe and to define a great deal of botany in the world. But Jesus is the one who made every last bit of it. Solomon, his wisdom was praised and sought. He wrote over a thousand Proverbs. And Jesus, my friends, is the source of eternal wisdom. Solomon's glory was physical, but it was temporal. And Jesus's glory is spiritual and eternal. Solomon worked some of his people to the bone to build up a kingdom. And Jesus comes and he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The wisdom of God is the cross. Here's the sign. The wisdom of God is the cross and the sign furthermore of Jonah is the resurrection. Repent and turn to him. Now, practically, how would we go then and respond to the call to hear his voice, to listen to the voice of Jesus? Here's a few takeaways. The first thing I would say is you have to sit. That's what you're doing right now, and I appreciate that. Hopefully you're listening. But you can't run and sit at the same time. I know, Pastor Troy's Captain Obvious. My children, every time we go through the big dig, especially when they were younger, we go into the city, they go into the big dig, and they're like, we're going to hold our breath. And we get near the end, and a couple of them say, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. You can't hold your breath and be talking at the same time. Well, I'm telling you, friends, 
You can't be running away from God in rebellion or in self-righteousness be running to try to perform for God and hear his voice at the same time. You have to rest. It's an affront to the cross. You need to sit and listen before you stand and walk in the will and the light of Jesus. Second thing I would say, I already said it a minute ago, is repent. Turn from sin and seek God's forgiveness in Christ. It's like coming out of a loud concert. I know there's ringing in your ears and you can't hear very well. So take off the headphones, turn off the TV, quit reading garbage on the internet. And I'm not even talking about electronics right now. I'm talking about sin. Repent. Turn. You know what you need to let go of in your conscience, in your heart. And then you'll be able to hear better. Third thing I would say is ask for Holy Spirit. Seek to be filled with the light of his counsel. Holy Spirit has a great job and he does it so well bringing illumination to the word, pointing us to God the Son, making a great deal about the sign. Last thing I would say is read and listen, meditate. I mean, frankly, I don't know how many times, you know it's gonna be natural that I plug the community Bible reading. You say, where do I begin? Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're discouraged and you feel, you know, if you're, if you're discouraged, then read 2 Corinthians or read the book of Job. If you're curious about and confused about the person of Jesus, then read the gospel of John. If you're struggling with anxiety, read the, read the book of Philippians. But wherever, just start. His word, I mean, frankly, to our, to our story here, if the Queen of Sheba is willing to travel 1,200, 1,500 miles to get a nugget of wisdom from Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, then you can get up and I can get up in the morning and seek wisdom from God's word. When you do slow down and meditate and ponder and be patient, it's not every time that you open God's word that you hear something amazing. Remember the blessing. The redirected benediction here, verse 29, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's pray to that end. Father, I ask right now that you would renew uh, our listening, that you would renew our devotion to you, our heavenly Father. Pray that you'd shine as you promised, light into our path through your word. We pray that you would bear fruit in our lives, Lord. Uh, we don't deserve it. Uh, we're so gra- grateful that you reveal yourself and then you pursue us through your spirit and even now to hear your word read and preached. Help us to cherish the things of God, to walk in the light of God. I pray you'd help anyone here that needs to do business with you, that they would seek you out. Your your, your promise, your precious promise would be fulfilled and would appear to them that if we seek the truth, the truth will set us free. We will have life abundantly in Christ. Lord, we do pray and we remember today people who are struggling. They can't gather with their church. Some of them can't gather with their family. Because of war. There are many people who are fearful and anxious. There are people fighting in the streets. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on this nation. We pray you'd have mercy on people as well who are part of Russia. Lord, we just can't contemplate. We can't even quite fathom uh, what it's like. And we pray you administer through your church, through various means. We pray you bring relief and help. We pray that you, God, would open up hearts. That you would help people there, near people far to see how fragile life is and how important it is that we would seek our creator. I pray that you would use this season and this time as painful as it is, not only to shower mercy, but to birth forth 
revival and renewal, that there would be many people who come seeing the, fra- the, f- the frailty of life and the futility of this world, they would cry out to you and follow you. Lord, I pray today you'd guide us. Guide people here who are doubting. Guide those who are struggling financially, those who are struggling with relationships, with, with problems in their health. Lord, I pray you'd sustain them. I pray for unborn children in our church. We thank you for this gift. We pray for young moms who would watch over them and their, their, baby, their babies, that you would grow them to maturity. We pray for them, for all of us, that our hearts would be soft and responsive and open to the one who calls us by name. We pray all this and ask for great help with confidence because we pray in the name of Jesus and together, even now, as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, 